I told Pastor earlier, um, this came up in prayer yesterday about uh, us each having our own experience with God. And I was, I was saying, you know, my parents were strict. You know, we were raised up in holiness, Pentecostal. <laughs> we were, it was strict. You couldn't go to movies. You couldn't, you couldn't listen to anything besides Southern Gospel. Not even contemporary Christian. And, um, but I won't ever forget, I had been, I had really been seeking after God. I've been having an experience with God. And, um, one of our rules was you can't go to dances. They're the devil. You can't go to the dance at school. And, um, and so, you know, I had gone through my little spell where I asked anyway and, and whatever. And then, but I hadn't just never brought it up again. And I was I was 14 or 15, and my dad came to me, and he said, Son, you know, I know that you pray, and I know that you make good decisions, and um, it's just a time in your life where you can, there was a dance coming up, and he said, it's just a time in your life where you can pray and hear God about what you should do, about do you want to go to this dance? This is the time when you're going to make a decision about what kind of person you want to be. And, um, but there was no law in that so there was nothing for me to rebel against what could I rebel against I could do what I wanted to do <clears throat> I was encouraged to go pray and hear what God said and do that and so I went and prayed and heard what God said and I that's what I did I, God said don't go to the dance I said okay not gonna go to the dance and so but there was no rebellion in that because I was given the freedom to go and hear God and build my own relationship with God myself. And I was telling, I was, we were talking in prayer yesterday, and I told Pastor this morning, I said, you know, some of my fondest memories, when we look back and we think about all the things we've done with God and all the stuff God's done through us and with us, and are <clears throat> when I was in school and trying to make a stand for Jesus or in college and, and just in different places where it was hard, where I had to stand by myself. The hard times were the times that um, are my favorite memories. When I look back and I think about, you know, getting bullied because I was trying to pass out Bibles at school and they pick them up and they rip them up and throw them on the ground. That's my favorite memory. Because it's a story that builds my faith. It's something where I made a stand for God. I can look back and I can say, I didn't just live underneath something. I didn't live underneath somebody else's shadow. I didn't just go to church because it was the right thing to do. And I didn't just be a pretty little Christian because that was the right thing to do. But I made a stand for something. And the devil fought me. My parents didn't help me. They didn't even know what was going on. Nobody helped me. But I got to stand for God myself. And we have to, we do have to allow our, we have to allow our children to have those experiences where it's, um, it's the little battles, you know, it, we've ruined them if we wait till they're 30 years old and, and realize, oh, they can't stand on their own two feet and then I'm, I got to turn them loose. Well, they don't know how to do anything. We got to, we've got to help them along the way and when, and being able to take that. Amen. Okay. All right. Well, I have a scripture then. <laughs> I have a lot of scriptures. I think David is the perfect example of this. And if y'all want to turn, first of all, 
I think if you look at the difference in, excuse me, in Saul and David, you see the difference in someone who was given everything. We know Saul came from a wealthy family. He didn't have to do things for himself. You see the difference in somebody who was who took the opportunity to fight every battle that came along, little, big, didn't matter, and the difference in somebody who just wanted somebody, who allowed somebody else to handle it for them. In 1 Samuel 10, verse 17, Saul had been, Saul was sent out to find some sheep, or goats, it was some animals of some sort that his that had that had been lost, and he was going around with a servant, looking for his his animals, donkeys maybe, and um, and his servant says, "Hey, you know there's a prophet in the town over here. Why don't we just go ask the prophet?" And Saul says, "Well, you got to have money to go to the prophet." And the servant says, well, I just have, I have one silver coin. Why don't we just go and see? Let's just go see what happens. Saul would have spent his whole, like, the next several days, weeks maybe, looking for these donkeys. But his, he had somebody else that had to give him a good idea. Somebody else did it for him. He was wealthy, from a wealthy family where things were just taken care of for you. And his servant come along and... Gave him a good idea. Let's go talk to the prophet. He ends up talking, being greeted by a messenger from Samuel. And through no fault of his own, he just did what somebody else told him to do. And he ended up there. He was chosen to be king. And this is kind of where we pick up. And Samuel called all the people together unto the Lord to Mizpah. And he said unto the children of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all kingdoms of them that oppressed you. And ye have this day rejected your God, who himself saved you out of all your adversities and tribulations. And ye have said unto him, Nay, but set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes, by your thousands, and when Samuel had caused all the tribes to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. And when he had called the tribe of Benjamin, the family of Matri was taken. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. And when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord. They, here's a man who had already met with Saul, Samuel, sorry, and was told he was going to be the king of Israel. And he decided to just go back home and wait on somebody else to handle things for him. He, had, he went and hid because he didn't want to deal with it. He was afraid. He, there was nobody else at this point. If you're king, the buck stops with you. He didn't want to deal with it. And so he went and hid himself among all the, the camels and the baggage over here. They had to ask God, where is our king? And God told him to go find him in the bags. The Lord answered, Behold, he has hid himself among the stuff. And they ran and they fetched him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than everyone, head and shoulders above. So Saul was chosen, and he was anointed. And here's the thing about Saul, though, that we have to understand. Saul wasn't totally rebellious. Saul did what he was told. Somebody gave him a good idea, he did it. 
He got anointed to be king. The, the spirit of prophecy came on him. He went around prophesying. They said, is anybody a prophet these days? Even Saul's prophesying. He let the spirit of God come on him. And he did good, amazing things as long as Samuel was telling him what to do. But the first time Samuel was late, the first time he was late and couldn't tell him what to do, Saul said, well, I don't know what to do. Did he ask the Lord? He did not ask the Lord. He asked the people what to do. What do y'all want to do? Oh, I think we should save all the best of these sheep. I think we should save the king. I think we should save all the riches and the treasures and burn everything else to the ground. We can all offer it to God. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be fantastic. Samuel's going to be so happy. He said, that sounds like a good idea to me. And Samuel shows up and he says, didn't I tell you to burn the whole city down? Didn't I tell you to kill everything and everyone? You didn't do it. And so God has rejected you. When it came a time for Saul, who was never, never himself, took an opportunity to, to move out in faith in the little things. Not once. He always did what he, somebody else had to tell him what to do. Didn't walk out like he was the king. He's the king. He can walk out and do whatever he wants to do. He hid because he wasn't sure what to do. Waited on somebody to come find him and tell him. Now look at David. Hallelujah. Where was David when Samuel showed up to anoint him? He was working. He was already doing some work. And we know that he was already hearing God out there. He sat out there in them fields. He played his little harp. He made songs and wrote psalms to God. A lion showed up. What do you want me to do, God? Lion's here killing my sheep. God said, kill the lion. Okay. I'm going to kill that lion. A bear shows up. No, I'm going to kill the bear too. Doesn't matter what comes my way. I have little opportunities. Little opportunities along the way. So much so that when God came looking for him, he was busy doing work. Out there in the presence of God, I'm sure, busy doing work. In 1 Samuel 17, 32, David revealed his secrets, that he had opportunities to hear God, and he took them. So when Goliath came, he wasn't afraid. It says, and David said to Saul, let no man, to the king, he's 12 years old, y'all. This was a child. To the king, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, Goliath. Your servant is going to go fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine and fight with him because you're a child, you're a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, here's a secret. Your servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock, and I went out after him, and I killed him, and I delivered the lamb out of his mouth. Didn't even get to kill the lamb. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and I smote him, and I slew him. Thy servant slew, hey, my God, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, when Goliath comes against us, we need some help because we didn't fight the lion and the bear. 
We went and found somebody else. We called the, extermin- the line exterminators or something. We went and did something else besides fight the Say, oh, my God, somebody came after what's mine? This little thing came after what's mine? No, this is my sheep. I'm taking it back out of your mouth. I'm going to hit you on the head until you're dead. Hey! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God was pleased with David because he called him a man after his own heart because whatever he got thrown at him, he came to God. They took his wives and his children. He came to God. He said, God, what do you want me to do? He didn't spare time. He went to God to just, you can read in the Psalms, the ones he wrote when he was a child even. He just loved God. Pray, God, keep my, fat, my, my path straight. Keep my feet going the right way. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Saul called Samuel. And it was fine as long as Samuel was there. But at some point, God wanted Samuel, Saul, Saul to, be, to cry out to him too and hear him too. And so if we don't develop the life of these little things, the little battles that come against me, my kid talked back to me. Well, it was cute when they were two. No, it's a spirit. What I'm going to do when they're 18 and go into jail if I didn't fight the battle along the way. I fight the battle. And then I teach my children to fight the battle. If I handle everything for them, they're not going to know how to hear from God. They're just going to know how to hear from me. And they're going to be rebellious. And they're going to come to church. And they're going to... And they're not going to know how to do nothing. They make him fill a spot and be told what to do. But what can we do for God without those experiences? I was talking with Elder Robert and Sister Danny yesterday. And I said, do you remember before this church was here how we used to just, we used to go have to go find God. You weren't finding God in this town. <laughs> we would have to go find him. We would go to Brownsville. We'd go to all the conferences. We'd go here and there. Lock myself in my room and put on, you know, there was only, you could only buy those two Brownsville CDs and one Hillsong CD. And you rotate through all three of them. That's the only way you could get the Holy Ghost up in your house. That was it. We did what we had to do. We cried out and said, I need more. I need more. I need more. What I have is not enough. What I see is not enough. I need more. I need more, God. And those that cried out, that adversity that we faced when we went into our church and tried to obey God, formed us into being the warriors that we are today. It drew us into prayer. It gave us the weapons that we use against the devil. And when we rob our children, when we rob baby Christians, when we rob people of an, exp- an experience where God is raising them up, then they don't have the weapons we had. Jesus, help us. Help us, God. Hallelujah. David sought the Lord because he wanted God. You know, it's simple to have God because 
It's just where your heart, what is your heart longing after? I think we get the, when somebody else, when we let somebody else do it for, so, for us for a while, we kind of get the mentality of, I can, my heart can go in different directions because I know I'm going to get God. But what I saw in prayer is we trade pursuit for an experience. And that's to our detriment. Because ask anybody who, who tried to get the Holy Ghost in their life before there was a ministry where you could come and get all of God you wanted. We had to pursue or we were going to die. There was nowhere to come and get and get somebody to blow on you and you fall out. There wasn't anywhere to have somebody come and pray and agree and help you get a breakthrough. If you didn't get it yourself at your house or in one of the two times in the year that you got to go to Brownsville or Rodney Howard Brown or Benny Hinn or something, then you was just dead. You were dead. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, my God. Thank you, Jesus, for this place. But we get, it's easy, though, when we have the opportunity to come in and experience that we ignore the pursuit because the experience is already here. Because we pursued God, but we were kind of pursuing an experience, too, at the same time. We had a lot of fun doing it. And so what we have to realize is we need the pursuit, the crying out and saying, I need more. I need more, God. What you've given me is wonderful, God. I thank you for bringing me to a church where I can experience you every single day, God. But I need more. I need my life to be more than something. Mean more than just me getting up and going to work and coming to church and lifting my hands and dancing a little dance and feeling good about myself. I need it to be more than a quiet so 20 minutes of quiet time in the morning where I just feel okay. God, I need my life to mean something. I need to pursue you for something. Oh, my God. Hallelujah. Jesus. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Matthew 6, 19. We're going to read it together on this screen so you can see it. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. On to the next one. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. Now what comes after the word steal? Colon. The thought isn't finished yet. Let's go to the next one. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We throw that scripture out a lot of times, but it's in it's in a, a it's in a whole other sentence where he's saying, "Where is the treasure? How do you know where your treasure is? It's because what does my heart want?" We can all be spiritual and say, "My heart wants Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus." But what? Let's go on a little bit further. I'm going to read it in the Amplified for for the next couple of scriptures, if that's okay with y'all. Says, "For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." And then he says, the next thing he says, same teaching. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is sound, your entire body will be full of light. But if your eye is unsound, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the very light in you, your conscience is darkened, how dense is that darkness? Okay. He's given us a truth here. He says, don't lay up your treasures here on earth. Lay them up in heaven. Because your, where your treasure is, your heart is going to go there. How do I know where my treasure is? How do I know where my heart's going? What direction are my eyes looking? Is what he's saying. If you're looking to Jesus all the time, if the thoughts, the meditations of your heart and your mind, have you always looking for him, looking toward him, moving toward him, longing for him, then your eye is sound, he says, and you're going to be full of light. But if, if your heart is pulled to other things, and it always has your, and you're in a constant battle of, I'm supposed to be thinking about Jesus right now, but my mind's somewhere else. I'm thinking about other things. Your treasure is there. It's not condemnation. It's, it's just revelation truth to see that we can see. Oh, God, I need help if my, if my eyes are looking at other things. Not sin. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying your heart is after your treasure. Your eyes set your direction that your heart is going. Your eyes are looking for the treasure. So if, if my eyes are looking at something else, my treasure is there. That's where my treasure is. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will stand by and be devoted to the one and despise and be against the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, which is deceitful riches, money, possessions, or whatever is trusted in. Therefore, I tell you, it's my favorite part, stop being perpetually uneasy about your life. What you shall eat and drink, what you're going to do, or about your body, what you should put on is not life greater in quality than food and the body far above more excellent than clothing. He says, if you're feeling uneasy, you feel perpetually uneasy, is what he called it. And I love that word because that's the way we feel when my eyes aren't on the right place. Something in me is my spirit's pulling me back to God, but my eyes are somewhere else. I'm looking at this. I'm looking at my job. I'm looking at I got to do this with my kids, and I got to do this over here, and I got money I got to get in. Don't you know I got things to do? I got my kids are all in all these sports and everything. Got to go take care of all that. Got all these things to do. I really love the new stuff that's coming out on Netflix. I want to spend some time doing that. I love to hunt. God, God, you know I got to be there for the hunting. You know, you know. He says so. You've become perpetually uneasy because. Our eyes are looking one way, our heart's going one way, our spirit's saying, come over here, and I become perpetually uneasy. I feel anxious all the time, like I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing all the stuff I'm supposed to be doing. He says, stop that. Look at where your heart is. Where has your heart found its treasure? And set your treasure in the right place. Amen. He says, isn't it more than just what you're going to do, what you're going to eat and drink? It's more than that. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's why he said, you have to personally take up your cross and follow me. Every one of us take up our cross and follow him, and I can't carry your cross for you. 
pastor can't carry your cross for you, we can pray over the ministry, have a breakthrough, help you get a breakthrough. But at the end of the day, nobody can carry your cross for you. That is what Saul wanted and didn't work out for him. But David was willing to pick up his cross. David was willing to, to go through those, those smaller trials and let God build him up one level, one level, one level. Because his heart was focused in the right place. I have one more scripture. It's in Revelations chapter 3, verse 14. We all hate this scripture because we get real high-minded. And we, and we talk about lukewarm people. Oh, it's all them lukewarm folks. You know, makes God sick, makes me sick. Don't spew out of your mouth, and I'm going to laugh about it. That's what he says. He says, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. I would thou wert hot or cold. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. We read it, and we get real excited, and we say, okay, you should just either be on fire for God, or you should just be in sin. You should be one or the other. You don't like it if you're lukewarm, halfway in, halfway out. But we don't read what God describes as the qualifications of being lukewarm. Now, y'all play. Father, help us to not be religious-minded this morning and discern what your spirit is saying, God. You actually said it right after you said this. You said, let he who has ears to hear, hear what the spirit is saying, Father. And we do want to hear what your spirit is saying today, God. Here's the qualifications. He says, why are you lukewarm? Here's why I'm calling you lukewarm. It's because thou sayest, I am rich and increased in goods. I don't need anything. We say, I'm, I'm good. I don't need anything. Don't need anything. You're lukewarm because of it. Say, I don't need anything. That's when we stop saying, God, I need more of you. If I don't have you, God, if God, if you don't, Come down and anoint me. If you don't come down and breathe some life into me, God, if what I'm doing for you isn't real and empowered and inspired by the Spirit, then I don't want to do it. God, as a matter of fact, I'm not getting up today until I know that I know that your Spirit has breathed inside of me and that I have something more of you today than I had of you yesterday because my treasure is laid up in you, God. I need you, God. If I don't have you, I'm not going to move because what do I have? If I don't, if I haven't gotten you. He says, you say you don't need anything. That's why you're lukewarm. And he goes on and he says, here's how you get unlukewarm. Thank you, Jesus. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold that has been tried in the fire, that you may be rich, and raiment, that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. How do we become unlukewarm? It's by acquiring something from God 
that has been produced through trial. It's been produced through struggle, through rising up in faith and doing something besides sitting around and waiting on somebody else to do it for me. It's, it's something that if I go to God and I purchase it, it costs me something. And if it's cost me something, and in the, through the process of acquiring this gold that he says that has been tried in the fire, not just any old gold, not something that somebody else has produced and made something pretty for you to have, but it's gold that that has cost me something. And through trial, through tribulation, it has been refined in the fire to be something of value and something of worth. Through that process, you're going to become rich. You're going to be all the things that you think you are, but it's through recognizing that you are miserable and naked. And blind. Hey, because we stopped somewhere along the way getting up and saying, I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I need more of you, God. And just crying out. Do you I remember times where we just come to the altar and cry out and say, I just need more. I need more. Don't even know what I'm asking for, God. I need more. I need more. I need more. 